This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. And I am delighted today to be joined by my great friend and partner in United Hatzalah, Ellie Beer. As a young man, Ellie identified a problem that still exists throughout the world, which is that people die all day, every day, in the 10 or so minutes it takes following a trauma and before an ambulance arrived. Ellie thought this was unacceptable. He no longer could accept that people would die following choking, bleeding, heart attacks, strokes, when there could be trained and equipped first responders in their immediate vicinity who could drop what they're doing and rush to help a victim in need, save the life, and then have an ambulance come 10 minutes later. Ellie responded by developing a system to accomplish just that, and built United Hatzalah, which now has several thousand medics throughout Israel who treat 1,900 emergency calls a day, saving easily more than 200 people every day. These medics come from every sector of Israeli society and show the bonds of fellowship and indeed love that develop when people of all backgrounds and faiths work together to accomplish something that all agree is sacred, which in this case is saving lives. Now at the rabbi's husband, we treat the Torah not as a history book or a cookbook, or a law book, but as a guidebook, a guide to how we can live happier, better, and more meaningful lives today. I have never discussed this with Ellie Beer, but the passage that he chose, which is Deuteronomy 30:19, embodies that with almost divine precision. This is Ellie's bar mitzvah portion. It's Nitzavim, where he read from the Torah then and has lived a life devoted to the following, I call heaven and earth today to bear witness against you, you shall choose life. So, Ellie, welcome to the Rabbi's Husband and to our discussion of Deuteronomy 3019 and Choosing Life. Mark, thank you for inviting me. I always call you the Rebbitson. So, thank you. I accept that. And uh, it's an honor to be a partner with you, not only in life saving and now in uh, Torah, too. Thank you. Absolutely. So, um, so, this is your Torah portion for your bar mitzvah, uh, Deuteronomy 3019, where the Torah says, I call heaven and earth today to bear witness against you. Heaven and earth, there's always two witnesses. So heaven and earth today to bear witness against you. I have placed life and death before you, blessing and curse, and you shall choose life. Do you remember reading that at your bar mitzvah? You know, my bar mitzvah was uh, probably 33 years ago, three to four years ago. I think the only thing I actually remember from my bar mitzvah is this sentence from my bar mitzvah, because I think that was the most powerful sentence. You know, this is the last portion, the last portion of the Torah that you read before Rosh Hashanah. This is the last portion of the Torah before Rosh Hashanah comes and uh, before the end of the year. So, you know, I was trying to think. It's a very short parsha, only 40 sukim. And everyone said, oh, Eli, you're going to have such an easy time to learn it. It was not an easy thing for me because I never read the Torah before. So it took me months to learn. And And in fact, um, you're dyslexic. I'm, uh, yes, I'm dyslectic. And it was very hard for me to remember all the signs. They have a lot of signs you have to learn. It's funny, my son, Israel, my only son, had the same parsha as mine. And he went through the same difficulties I went through. And, and I asked my son, what do you remember about this parsha? And he said, That's the one part of the parsha that you remember. Did you realize at the time, or did you have any idea that you would devote your life 
to the one part of the Parsha that really stuck with you? You know, my passion was always, always, always saving lives. I, I was too young then. I was 13 years old. I couldn't even uh, think of maybe I'll save someone's life. It was a dream of mine because as a child, I saw that bomb attack on a bus in Jerusalem and I saw people get killed and get hurt. So I grew up seeing all these terrible things and I, it pushed me towards fixing my soul and saving some. And I think this parsha Mitzavi was very instrumental on me because uh, actually the secret is, Mark, you don't even know, my parsha was a week before, Kitavo. Oh, interesting. And my father didn't want me to read Kitavo because it's a really difficult parsha with a lot of- The blessings and the curses, all those horrible curses. Exactly. My father says, you know what? Let's skip that week, go to the good week. And I'm lucky I did that. And your father was an Orthodox Jew. Yes. As are you. And, and he suggested skipping the Parsha and going to Nitzavim, and it ended up steering your life. Exactly. I remember, and this followed me my whole life, you know, a person has a choice in his life. He can choose whatever you want to do. You have your own choice. You can be a bad person. You can be a good person. God says this to us. You, I give you the choice. I recommend do this. Do the good. Do the light. Choose life. This Choose life. And I will never forget that as a young kid of 13 years old. I said, what? I could do either one. I could be a mobster or I could be, you know, a lifesaver, whatever I choose to want to do, you know? And I'm so happy I had this bar shot. It really shaped my life the way I am now. Perhaps that you just summarized the purpose of the Torah. I mean, where God puts it right before you and says, you can choose life or death. You can choose blessing or curse. I recommend you choose life. But as you said, it's your choice. And that inspired you to make the choice that has made you, you might be the person in the world who has saved more lives or is certainly responsible for the saving of more lives than anybody else. I mean, if you're saving right now over 200 people a day, it's hard to say anyone is or could be doing more than that. And it all comes from uh, this Parsha. So it says here, you have, you have you can choose between blessing and curse. You can choose between life and death. What's the feeling that you get when you choose life? Because not only are you responsible for hundreds of lives being saved every day, but you personally have been a lifesaver with your own hands probably hundreds of times over the last 25 years. When I was, uh, when actually I have a choice, but I go towards someone to help him and, and I'm always saying, should I do a little more extra? You know, you, sometimes you go to an emergency and you see someone in a really, really bad situation. So you could do, you know, the minimum everyone would do, you would save their lives, but sometimes you could do a little extra. Like what? I could give you an example. So I was in someone's home and I, I will never forget this. We were a Friday night, Shabbat dinner. We were all together. We had guests over and we had a call about some lady having a heart attack. So of course I left the home. I left Shabbat dinner and I went to save this lady. And I got there and I saw a young lady. She wasn't an old person. She had terrible chest pains. You saw her pale. You saw her in a really bad situation. And we were treating her really well. And eventually when the ambulance arrived, I realized these kids are going to be stuck alone. Who's going to take care of these kids? This mother had to go with her father. So our job was finished. I did the job. I saved her life. I helped her get to the situation where the ambulance arrived and could take her to the hospital. And she's still breathing. But now the kids need help. And I'll never forget it. I took these kids back home with me. I told the mother, I'm going to take them back home. This was in the Bayakov where I lived before. I took the kids. I said, you want to come over for Ashwa And Giti was like, she sees me coming back home with these children. And right away, we, we got my kids, my children, moved to another room. And my wife set up the beds for them. And they just went to sleep that night. And my wife was taking care of them the whole day. And we didn't even know this family. It was just a family that was stuck in a situation. And that's the beautiful part is, you know, 
you could do a lot more than just the minimum. You could think out of the box when coming to help and doing chesed and, and helping people. And I see it happening now to my children when they're responding to United Hatzalah emergency calls, my wife, Kitty. You see how much they care, how much they, they want to do more than just the normal things that people do. And you, as the founder and the leader, you set that example. I remember the story, uh, was it a few months ago when there was a, a call in B'nai Barak and the volunteer had to go to that home in B'nai Barak? And didn't he end up just staying in the apartment for a few days or a couple of weeks or was something like that because the parents were in the hospital? Yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, uh, we had a volunteer in Dimona who went out to a call. This is down south in Israel. And and he went out to a call of a Russian lady who made, who made a liad Israel immigrant. She had one child and she, she didn't want to go to hospital. Her situation was really, really bad because she said, who's going to watch over my little son, a two-year-old son? And a volunteer was a Moroccan old immigrant. His parents were immigrants. He was an Israeli guy. He says to this Russian woman, she hardly understood him. She says, I'm a good person. You could trust me. If you go to hospital, I'll take care of him. And for three weeks, he was staying in his, in his home. And this is things you don't see in a regular EMS organization. They're all good people. They all want to help, but they have a job. They do it. But once you do it from your heart, once you do it because you choose to do it, it's not a job for you. You're not getting paid for this. You're getting the meaning of life. This is what we're living for. We're living for Chaim, and this is my whole life like that. So you're saying that when, when someone makes that choice, actually the, the Torah is so genius in saying choose life, because when you make that choice, you will end up choosing life in a more fuller and deeper way than you could have ever done if you were commanded to do it. I think you're right. I, I actually think uh, if we would have gotten commandments, you have to do this. You have to save people. You have to help people. It would have been harder. But since we had the choice, and many people choose the other way, and actually that's not the recommendation of God, of Hashem, in the, in the Torah, in Parashat Nitzavim. Hashem says, these are the choices you have in life. You could either choose in death, which is bad things, you know, like, or you could choose in Chaim, which is the good things. The Torah gives you recommendations. This is what you could do to be a good person. I've also heard you, you talk a lot um, with donors, and you make the point to donors that uh, without the financial resources, we'd be working with Band-Aids. Right. And donors are the same exact thing. A lot of people choose to work their whole life and not get involved with anything to do with charity or giving or helping. And I meet these people sometimes. And Mark, we both meet these people sometimes very differently than you are. We are sometimes shocked. They say, why do people understand that part of being a good human being is to, to do for others, you know, not only for yourself? Which is the essence of the whole Torah. And it has to do with choosing life. And I tell these people, you know what? Just give a little of your own to others and you'll love it. You'll really enjoy doing good for other people. When I leave my home two o'clock in the morning, instead of being in bed and going to help someone for two hours at night and helping a 90-year-old woman who fell on the floor and she needs help and she's shivering and she, you need to pick her up and put her back in bed and, and your night is ruined, you're not going to go back to sleep. It's like, okay, I'm done. I know I did the greatest thing in the world. I, yes, I met, I lost a night of sleep, but this woman is not going to be freezing to death on the floor of her home because she couldn't get up on her own. And if she would have called an ambulance, who knows what it would have ended up. They'd probably take her to a hospital for no reason, charge her a lot of money for that. This way we come as volunteers, and this is what I tell this to donors, try helping others. You'll see, you're going to love it so much, you want to continue. And my message usually is to young people. Young people, Mark, your son just did the race to save lives uh, just a couple of days ago. And I was so blown away how he was so excited to run 5K 
and raise money and give his own to make sure that he saves others. And I'm sure, and I, and I have his picture hanging in my office now because his smile running, it was a smile from his heart and he really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Because he, he knows that uh, he was your partner and the partner of other volunteers in, in saving lives. Now, a couple of interesting points from what you were just saying um, that remind me of the conversation I had in the rabbi's husband a week ago with uh, our mutual friend, Rabbi David Wolpe. And we were talking about how at United Hatzalah, I actually quoted you by saying that uh, people come to us all the time and say, let's put a business model on this. And your point is, you can't pay people enough. If they're not going to choose to do it out of their own heart, what are you going to pay someone? How much can you pay someone to say, I want you to be ready at three o'clock in the morning every single night to answer a call and to rush to your neighbor in need and to ruin your night's sleep? No one's going to do that for money, but they will do it for something that's not money. It's true about both things. It's true about the ones who are doing it, the actual volunteers who are leaving their home. They always say to me, people say, why don't you give them any return on their investment? Let's say not return, financial return. Let's say, for instance, if they spend gasoline, why don't you pay them for that gasoline? And why don't you give them like a few dollars for every emergency they go out to? And I say, to go out in a freezing cold night when it's raining outside or snowing outside to help people you don't know, and you're paying them $10 an hour, $15, $20 an hour is a paramedic salary, $20 an hour. It's not worth it for $20. I would not, I never go out for $20 an hour to help someone in the middle of the night. It's freezing. I'm not doing it. Maybe $100, $200, but not for $20. But when I give them zero, they jump out of bed with their own pajamas. They even forget to take their coat because they're running to help someone for nothing. And that's the beautiful part. Or for everything. That's why they're doing it. Exactly. They're doing it for the world. They're doing it for Bacharit and Bacharim. They're really doing it because they want to be part of the good people of the world who choose to give everything they have to other people. And I say the same thing with donors. I meet people who give so much to save lives and to other organizations. And like, amazing, these people could probably buy a yacht every year with the money they give away. They could buy a new home in another country, Switzerland, and then Italy, and then who knows, Japan and, and Israel. And these people are giving charity. And I ask them sometimes, why do you do this? Like, and I ask you, Mark, the same thing. You know, you started giving when you're young and you realize how much giving gives you. If you really give life to others, you get life. I enjoy it every time I help someone. I never had a situation. I said, oh, what a terrible thing I did. I left my house in the middle of the night. I left Shabbat. I left. I feel terrific with myself. I never feel better after helping someone. Another thing I, that uh, David Wolpe says is he says, in all my years of being a rabbi, no one has ever come to my office and said, Rabbi, I've had such financial difficulties because I gave too much to charity. He said, never happened. And I've asked other rabbis and, and pastors, Christian leaders about their experience. They said, no, of course, no one ever said that. The Torah promises us that you will be blessed and blessing in the Torah is always material. You will be blessed if you give and God keeps his promises. I believe certainly the English transliteration is true. Is the Hebrew word forgive natan? Natan, yeah, yeah. And it's a palindrome. In other words, it's the same backwards and forwards. Right. Yeah, I didn't think about it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's the same backwards and forwards, which shows that there's really no difference. When you give, you receive. I mean, it's a palindrome. It's in, in the English transliteration and in the Hebrew, it's a palindrome because when you give, you receive. It's the same thing. Turn it backwards and forwards, you get the same outcome. But when you think about this really seminal pasuk in your life and, and the seminal phrase to which you've devoted your life, choose life, and you talk to donors or others who you know are not potential donors who are 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 not making the choice to the extent they could. Why are they not? 
And how could they be convinced to embrace, perhaps not to the fullness that you have, but to embrace nonetheless the commandment to choose life? I'll take it from my own personal experience with my children. You know, when I ask my kids, do something, could you throw the garbage, right? So my, my kids, the first instincts, I'll do it later. Every time they say I'll do it later, they never end up doing it. And I teach my kids all the time, when you have a mitzvah in front of you, don't do it later, do it right away. Because you're not going to end up doing it. Everything you say, I'll push for later. Whenever I see anyone who, who tells me, and I meet people who tell me, on my next deal, I'll give. I know they never gave on their first deal. Young people who I meet all the time, and I just had a young guy who, incredible young man who just donated an ambulance taco. He's 27 years old. He donated $36,000. And I met him like five, six, seven years ago. I sat with him. He was 20, 21 years old. And I said to him, could you donate to United as Health? He said, I don't have my own money yet. You know, I'm not making money yet. I said, donate before you have money. Donate while you still have, don't have money. Just donate a little. Just give something. Give a hundred bucks, 500 bucks, a thousand, whatever you could. So he donated $2,600 to adopt one volunteer. This was when he was 20 years old. And now he just gave an ambulance And he says, Ellie, thank you for teaching me how wonderful it is to give. And I'm saying the same thing about volunteers. Volunteers has to, have to start from small steps. They run on an ambulance. They, they, they help people on an ambulance or they work in a soup kitchen. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Once they give their time to others and they realize how special it is, and it's giving them, by the way, it says in the Torah, when you help others, you're helping yourself more than you're helping the other person. What you're teaching people is so important. And it's, it's right out of Genesis 18, where when Abraham is, uh, sees the three strangers in front of him who end up being angels, but he doesn't know it. He sees the three strangers. The word rushed or hurried is used six times. And Abraham rushed and Sarah rushed. Why did they rush? The strangers weren't going anywhere. They were hungry and thirsty and on a long journey. They were in no rush to get anywhere, but Abraham and Sarah rushed because that's what we learned, the deed from them. The deeds of the righteous are done in haste. When they have the opportunity to do a mitzvah, you do it fast, you rush to do it. It, does, it didn't matter to Abraham that he could have taken his time and completed his conversation with God, among other things, which is what he was doing, and gotten them later, and they still would have been there. That's not how he thought. He thought, there's an opportunity to do a mitzvah. Sarah thought, there's an opportunity to do a mitzvah. We're going to rush. And the term rush and hurry occurs so frequently as if to teach us, this is how you should respond, how quickly you should act when you have the opportunity to do a mitzvah. You rush to do it. The other thing you're teaching is that it's a very Jewish concept that we all act in accordance with our habits. And if you acquire the habit to give, you'll be a giver. doesn't really matter how much money you give at any particular point. If you can only give $5, get in the habit of giving $5. Right. And that's why I love when I see a, a young child that donates $10, $5. I always make sure to respect that little child the same way of someone giving a million dollars. Because this young child giving $5 should get a letter and sometimes a phone call. And we have Noah Elbogen, our good friend, who's a member of the board now. I remember when he was a young boy in, in uh, Colombia and he was his father passed away that year and he wanted to do something for his father. And he got all his friends to support through Colombia. And I heard he gave a couple of thousand dollars with his friends. And I... I, I was blown away. I went to visit him in his university. He was maybe 17 years old, 18 years old then. And giving him a hug meant so much to me because I'm meeting a young man who did so much for him. Then was a lot of money. And you see him growing. And he said to me, Ellie, I enjoyed giving so much then. That's why I'm giving a lot more today because I, I enjoy it 10 times more every single time. And it's the same thing about doing for others. When you do chesed to other people, you said Natan, like you said, it's both ways. The time is spelled nun taf nun. 
Same way, Natan. When you give others, you're giving yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's such a valuable lesson. And the other thing is the person who gives 20 shekels, that might be our most generous donor because no one who gives a million dollars is going without anything. Everyone who gives a million dollars, their kids are going to have all the clothing they want. They're going to have whatever they want for dinner. They're not actually making sacrificial gifts. But sometimes the person making the sacrificial gift, the person who's saying, should I give or should I give my family the kind of meal or the kind of clothing or the kind of whatever that I want, they decide to give. That's the most generous donor. So that's the person who deserves more respect than the guy giving three million. Because the guy giving three million, he might be a big donor, but he's not going without anything. Yeah. And this parsha was really instrumental for me because I was reading it over and over and over. And these words were right in front of me. Hara, the ra, the bad, and the mavit, which is the death, comes together. So I always was scared. You know, I went through such a trauma this year. Yeah. And, and, and that trauma is you almost died of COVID. You probably, we know now, had a 5 or 6% chance of living. And here you are, intubated twice. When I was laying down there in bed, and I could tell you, Mark, I said goodbye to you. I called you up. I called Gitty and the kids to say goodbye. I was not sure I'm going to survive this thing. By the way, I didn't know it was that kind of goodbye when you called, but thankfully it wasn't. Of course, I didn't tell my wife I'm dying. I didn't tell my kids I'm dying, but I, I knew this might be my last time. But I could tell you that when I was closing my eyes and I knew that they're putting me down into a coma, I may never open up my eyes again. I knew... I wasn't sorry about one minute or one dollar I gave others. I was sorry about one thing. I didn't do enough. I wasn't sorry about that. I did too much. I said, maybe I should have put a little more time to volunteer a little more or give a little more. I was thinking, you know, I could have started at selling one more step. Is there more time than you give? I mean, you're, you're the most generous person in the world, probably. I look at life that, you know, I have so many opportunities to rest and I never take these opportunities like vacations or things like that. I want to be always involved with what I love doing, saving people, helping people, and developing United Atala. And I said to myself, maybe I rested too much. You know, maybe I should have put a little more time. Like, I'm always thinking I have my consciousness. Maybe I went around to this vacation and I shouldn't have gone. Because I feel like my life is too short. Could you imagine someone dying and saying to myself, oh, I should have gone to three more vacations before I die? You know? I wasn't thinking that way. I was thinking I should have not gone into that stupid vacation. I should have maybe done another Hatzalah branch because I remember right before I got sick, a guy called me up that a city is starting in Israel, this city next to Ramla. And he asked me, could we start Hatzalah? And I said, listen, COVID is starting this whole thing and I don't know what's going to be. Maybe we'll wait a little. And I said to him, right now, we're not starting new courses. We're shutting down a little courses because of the budget. And then when I was put to sleep, I said to myself, I should have done another effort to make sure that we have a cell. And that's what I mean when I said I should have done a little more. Not meaning, you know me, I don't stop working, but I, but I think that I could always do a little more, you know? Well, you know, th- th- that, that proves another kind of great Jewish truth, which came from Shimon Perez. When Shimon Perez was asked, uh, what's the greatest Jewish contribution to humanity? Shimon Perez was a great champion of Jewish innovation in all forms. But that wasn't his answer. His answer was the greatest Jewish contribution to humanity is dissatisfaction. So even you, you're, you're laying on what could have been and what we now know, the odds are highly likely would have been your deathbed. And you who have given so much to the world were feeling dissatisfied. You know what? I love what Shimon Peres said. And actually, actually, this parasha, I know for a fact, because I was going through some things in the internet, looking through and, and Shimon Peres actually 
spoke about this part, I mean, many times about Har Tabachayim. He was very, always, the Jewish people always choose life and not choose death, not choose good, bad. We always looked at the bright side of the thing. Let's go forward to helping other people. And, and that's why Jews and Israel is a light over the nation, because we always want to be out there thinking of ideas how to help more nations copy the models. And we always talk about it in the United Salah. And I think that we are, you know, when we all always want to make sure we're complainers, like you said before, we want to make sure we're, we're always doing the max and we should do more, you know? That's what I felt when I was in bed in the hospital. I really felt I should have done a little more. That was the only thing that was bothering me. And like you said, like Rabbi Wolpe said, no one ever said, I lost money. I gave out too much money, you know? I gave out too much charity. We could do a little more, every one of us. We all can. And God bless you for showing us how. Now, uh, the concluding question is always going from one sacred text, the Bible, to an, another text, which is Andre Malroux's 1968 book, Anti-Memoir. And he said in this 1968 book, he said, uh, I just ran into a man with whom I served in the war. He said, this man saved a lot of Jews and then became a parish priest. So I said to the priest, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two things you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, I've learned two things. One, everyone is much less happy than he seems. And two, there is no such thing as a grown-up person. So in all your years of having been a United Hatzalah founder, leader, and volunteer, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? I just want to repeat what we said about before, because you actually, this thing with Natan that I didn't think about, I think a person would be much happier in life when he makes other people happy. And it comes back to you 10 times more, like I said. And I think that's what I learned personally in life. Because if I was busy with my own business and I had nothing to do with charity, I would be like a regular human being. And I think you're the same, exactly the same, because you give a big percentage of your time to helping the world and fixing the world. And I feel like every human being becomes a much happier person when he gives others. Natan is such a great phrase for that. And I'm not exactly agreeing with the what he said, that every person doesn't look as happy. And I was like, I think I meet a lot of happy people and surrounded with great people that are always busy with helping other people and doing chesed. I meet the greatest and happiest people in the world. So what you're saying, this is so interesting, as, you, as always, what you're saying is that there's a certain paradox that if someone wants to be happy, everyone wants to be happy, many people will conclude then, okay, then I'll go on this vacation, I'll buy myself this car or this other thing or I'll get tickets to this event or whatever. And what you're saying is you're actually not going to succeed in your goal. If you want to be happy, make someone else happy. Forget all the other stuff. Make yourself happy. And then you'll receive the happiness that you seek. One million percent. You could be the richest person in the world and have access to any toy you want, any plane, any car and everything. You're never going to be happy until you make other people happy. That's why I'm so happy. I go to sleep with a big smile in my heart every day and my face. I wake up just waiting to see what during the night when I was sleeping was happening by our volunteers. And that makes me happy. When we succeed making people happy, making, when I see a child, a one and a half year old boy surviving at the drowning and being dead and coming back to life because of volunteers of United Hatzalah. We just spoke to Yogi Rimo, one of our volunteers who's 60 years old. He just lost his granddaughter, three weeks old, in a terrible event. His son is a 100% paralyzed his son and grandson. And Yogi, just three months after he lost his granddaughter by the name of Noah, Yogi took a little boy, a year and a half old, 
did CPR on that little boy, connected a defibrillator and shocked him and brought that boy back to life. A few days later, he heard the baby is 100% fine. He went to visit him in the hospital and his mother. And he goes there and he sees the little boy he saved is named Noam, like his granddaughter he lost. Yogi was talking to me. He was crying. He said, I'm never so happy in my life like now. I just saved a little boy's life. I don't know this family. They're not related to me. But I saved a little boy. He's 60 years old. Yo. He looks like he's a six-year-old boy who just got a candy. And that's what we live for. We live for doing happiness for other people, for saving other people, for helping other people. And that comes back to us right away. Well, Ellie, uh, thank you for giving uh, me and so many other people the opportunity to be your partner in saving lives and to receive the gratification, which we do, that you speak of and that you've delivered for us. Thank you for all you do and may God bless you. Thank you. And I want to wish everyone uh, who watches this to uh, have a beautiful Shana Tova. And uh, like we say, you choose life for others, Hashem will give you life as well. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. You are the God of the